This gospel message is brought to you by the Reformed Witness Hour, a ministry of the Protestant Reformed Churches in America, a Reformed denomination that strives to be faithful to the Word of God and the historic confessions of the Reformed faith, also known as Calvinism. In love for our great God, we proclaim the Christian faith and life that is founded on God's sovereign particular grace. As God's Word is expounded, we pray that these messages are a blessing to you. Believing Friends The last day of the old year is near. This is a good time of year for reflecting on things gone by. and In that reflection, it is good to note that in this past year, nothing was certain. Life has taken many unexpected turns for us, some of them not all so pleasant. The only unchangeable rock to which a child of God was able to cling in this past year was the promise of God to his people. I will never leave or forsake you for Christ's sake. Since God himself is unchangeable, so also is his promise. And again, he has shown that to us who believe, he has never forsaken you and me. God was near us even in those times when we least deserved it. Through good times, when we hardly gave much thought to his presence, to bad times, when all we could do was cling to his presence, God has been with us. And if there is anything that we should consider at the end of this present year, it is that preserving grace of God toward his people. This year, we consider this in connection with Psalm 37, verses 27 and 28. David writes there, Depart from evil and do good, and dwell forevermore. For the Lord loveth judgment, and forsaketh not his saints. They are preserved forever, but the seed of the wicked shall be cut off. Today we look back at God's preserving grace in our lives, and as believers we resolve again in our hearts to walk in a way that is pleasing to God. We commit ourselves once again to departing from evil and doing good. The words of the psalm, are a great comfort as we look back across this past year. They ring true for God's people once again. Jehovah forsakes not his saints, they are preserved forever. The reformed truth of the preservation of the saints truly gives strength in times of need. Yet we must understand what this truth means in order to derive from it the necessary comfort it provides. For example, we may not take our text to teach that God will not allow anything adverse to happen to us in our lives. God does not preserve us from pain and hurt and sorrow in this life. We know that well. The child of God often suffers the effects of sin in this world and in his life. He suffers oftentimes physical infirmities, sickness and disease. At times he can suffer emotional stress difficulties in home or in the workplace or in the church. We confess that we even have our many struggles spiritually. And surely if this past year has not given to us physical or emotional stress, spiritually we definitely have again struggled with our sin. So when verse 28 states that Jehovah preserves his saints, it does not mean that he keeps them from harm and suffering. Neither does it mean that we will live forever without seeing death. God does not preserve us from dying the physical death. 
It is given unto every man once to die, and then the judgment, the writer to the Hebrews tells us. So when we speak of the preservation of the saints, we do not refer to earthly ease or long life. If this is what we think this passage teaches, we would be doomed to disappointment. But if this is what we thought it taught, we would also miss the blessed gospel of the scriptures. We are talking about spiritual preservation here. God preserves his people from falling away from faith and salvation. In this, the faithfulness of our God is revealed to every believer. This is true of each individual saint, first of all. God preserves each of us individually in our own lives. The term used here in our text for preserve means to keep or to guard. And this is what God does for each of his children. He keeps watch over them and guards them from their enemies. Now, let's understand just who it is that preserves us. It is Jehovah, the great and unchangeable God who has created all things and controls all things by his sovereign power and decree. This means the God of heaven and earth, who never slumbers and never sleeps, is constantly watching us and guarding us. This means the God who controls all creatures with his own hand is the same God who watches over us and guards us. This means that if it is God that preserves us, then we are ever preserved. God will never fail us. He will never fail us because there is not a creature that can oppose his almighty will. But neither will he fail us because he is ever faithful to his promises to you and me. Promises of his covenant that he has established with his people in Christ. Never, nothing ever changes God's mind about those whom he has chosen to be his people. He views us from eternity as saved in the blood of Jesus Christ, and nothing will ever separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Even when we sin, God graciously preserves us in the blood of Jesus Christ and will not cast us off or forsake us. So, spiritually, we are preserved. We are preserved in another way, too. This is emphasized by the phrase, He forsaketh not his saints. This phrase stresses the fact that in every circumstance of life, God is always there for us. In his preservation of our souls, God is with us always and ever, no matter what circumstance of life through which he leads us. In our joys, but also in our sorrows, he graces his people with his presence. When we are riddled with the troubles of this life, God is there. When we are bedridden and sick, when our bodies are filled with disease and pain, God is there. When we lay upon the operating table in a hospital, God is there. When we stand by the side of a loved one who is dying, when we stand at their grave, God is there. God never forsakes us. But in those times of greatest need and sorrow, he reaches forth his almighty arms and scoops us up into his bosom and protects us and guards our souls. When we are so weak that we cannot seem to take another step, then God picks us up and carries us through the difficulties of our lives that we have witnessed this past year. Have we not, believers? God has not forsaken us, but he has preserved us safe within his care. Never have we been tempted to curse God and die. And that, dear listener, is preserving grace. Not only does God keep and preserve individual saints, either. He is faithful to his church as a whole. He preserves his church and never forsakes her. And that is significant, too, as we look back across this year.
The church world around us is in an upheaval. Apostasy abounds all around us. People with itchy ears, always looking for something new and fancy, have forsaken the truth to follow after the religious movements of today that walk in the way of heresy. Without even looking at the wicked world, but only at the nominal church of our day, we can ask the question, is there any faith left in the earth? Many churches today have forsaken the word of God and now reach out to hold hands with the unbelieving world. There's little difference, it seems, between the lives of those who call themselves Christians and the ungodly of this world. Even in light of all this, we have one sure word that we hear today. God forsakes not his saints, but preserves them forever. Always there is a faithful church of Jesus Christ in this world. The wicked world has attempted to absorb the church of Jesus Christ. It has tried to ignore and shun the church. It has even tried to obliterate the church of Jesus Christ, but to no avail. No matter what tactic Satan uses to destroy the church of the living God in this world, the church will not be destroyed. Not because we as members of the church together are so strong, but because God preserves his church in this world for Christ's sake. And if God is for us, not even the gates of hell can prevail against the church. God will not forsake his saints, but will guard us and protect us. He will preserve us forever. Now, this preservation of God's elect church will not preclude the fact that the wicked God will cut off. David writes that in our text, too. Notice the end of verse 28. But the seed of the wicked shall be cut off. Now, Let's distinguish in this regard the wicked men within the church and those without. Both are cut off. There's no doubt. Their end is destruction. God will destroy those who turn against his people and church in this world. But, but the emphasis in this chapter of God's word falls upon those who are wicked within the sphere of the church. God preserves his individual saints from falling away from faith and salvation. God also preserves his church as a whole. But this does not keep wicked men and women outside of the church institute. The wicked are oftentimes born into the church in the line of generations. Other times they might join the church from without. And these are the wicked to which David refers in this psalm. The psalm could very well have been written just after the revolt of Absalom and his wicked henchmen. All these were outwardly members of the church, just as many today outwardly belong to the church, but they were not true saints. These might even have had themselves convinced that they truly were members of the church, good members of the church, because they had gone through all the outward requirements of belonging to the church. That's true today, too. But they are wicked, and their actions bespeak their unbelief. Their actions violate God's commandments and word. They live a life of wantonness and worldly-mindedness. They care for the things of this life, and they are willing to forsake or trample underfoot the faithful to force their wicked ways on the church. These wicked, David says, God will cut off. Even though it may seem as if they flourish and that the church is given over entirely to them, God will cut them off. Psalmist writes in verses 35 and 36, I have seen the wicked in great power and spreading himself like a green bay tree, Yet he passed away, and lo, he was not. Yea, I saw him, but he could not be found. They are cut off because God loves judgment 
Or, in other words, our text says here, God is a just God, God, who loves the ways of righteousness. And in that righteousness, he judges. The righteous man he preserves. The unrighteous man or the wicked man in judgment he cuts off. So, God preserves his people. And he has done that this past year. In the way of righteousness. Our works of righteousness do not become for us the grounds of our preservation, of course. God does not look at you and me and the works we do and say, Now, there are some pretty good people that are worth preserving as my own. They keep my commandments, they depart from evil and do good. Therefore, on the basis of their own righteousness, I think I'm going to preserve them. That's not what the psalmist teaches us. Our text says, Jehovah forsakes not his saints. He forsakes not those in whom he has worked godliness or true piety. That is what the term saints means. Those who are graciously given zeal and ardor for the cause of God. And that points us to a work of God in us. You and I are preserved in this past year on the basis of what Jesus Christ has done for us. And that work of Christ is rooted in God's faithfulness. I am Jehovah, I change not. Therefore, ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. God could have looked upon us in our sins in this past year and justly destroyed every one of us. Every one of us. God's wrath could have rested upon us in all that we set our hands to do. We could have dwelt in the house of the wicked, who in every circumstance of life are under God's curse. But that has not happened. God has, on the contrary, been faithful to his people. He has not forsaken them in their sin, but has preserved them. And this he accomplished in our Lord Jesus Christ. Christ has taken away our sin, fellow saints. He has overcome the guilt of sin, first of all. He has paid the price of our sin on the cross and taken away that guilt. Our unrighteousness is taken away. In his place we have been declared righteous and innocent in his sight. But in the second place, the term saints here in our text also means a fervent desire in us to do good. Implied in this is the work of Christ in us that sanctifies us. That is why the word saints, it speaks of holiness. Christ has cleansed us from all iniquity and guile. He has overcome the power of sin in us, and it is our desire now to walk in all godliness. So, when God preserves us and keeps us, it is in the way of righteousness. He preserves us in our desire to do good. And that, we can say, God also has done again in this past year. In fact, that is why we, he oftentimes has sent us difficulties in life, to keep us fervent in well-doing. Now, we have spent most of our time today addressing God's faithfulness in preserving us, and such we ought to do at the end of the year. It is, after all, the old year, and a time, therefore, for reflection on what has taken place this past year. We look back. But we also stand on the threshold of the year 2022. And as we do, we look forward as well. We cannot help but look forward. Well, this passage here in Psalm 37 addresses us as we look forward to a new year too. In verse 27 we read, Depart from evil and do good and dwell forevermore. This verse explains the calling we have toward God again in the new year. Depart from evil and do good. 
and it follows upon what we have learned in this past year of God's preserving grace. Because God loves judgment, that is righteousness, and because he has not forsaken us but preserved us in the way of righteousness, we have a calling to depart from evil and do good. Out of thankfulness for God's great mercy and grace towards us in preserving us, we must be motivated to depart from evil first of all. When verse 27 here refers to evil, it speaks of the sin that dwells in us more than it does the deeds of sin. In other words, we are called by God not simply to depart from sinful deeds, but to turn away from the corruption that characterizes our sinful flesh. The former is the easiest of the two. We are able and have had to do it many times. We say no to our sinful flesh and not walk in a certain deed we at first perhaps desired to do. We could tell ourselves, I'm not going to, say, commit fornication when I am out with my girl. And we can do it. We can tell ourselves when I visit with family or friends, I'm not going to speak evil of another person. And we can do it. Sinful deeds are actions we can fight. We can depart from evil, that is, turn away from them as difficult at times as they may be. But it is a whole lot more difficult to depart from the evil that dwells within. That is now the evil that dwells in our thoughts and our desires, and that actually draw us away into these sins indeed. It is this that we are commanded in this word of God to depart from, from the evilness of our hearts and souls. That is where our struggle must lie in this new year once again. We must we must work to fight against that sin which is within. We must continue by God's preserving grace to fight against the evil words and actions that might arise in our lives. But most of all, we must fight the sin of our natures, the thoughts and desires that arise from within. These we are called upon to suppress. These we are called upon to depart from. And this battle against such corruption can only be carried on as we look to the cross of our Savior. We must turn there for the strength to depart from evil and do good. There alone, you see, the battle is won at the cross. And when it is fought, then we also will turn to the good. We will do good. And now, this term good refers to our deeds in themselves. It is a word used in the general sense of the word for deeds of righteousness, but also deeds of benevolence, deeds of cheerfulness, and so on. Having overcome the corruption that dwells within us, we can turn and go out to do good. And these are the deeds that ought to characterize the believer in this year to come. We must perform works that are in conformity with God's law and commandments. We must perform deeds of kindness and cheerfulness toward our neighbor that flow forth out of a true and living faith. We must be ready and willing to serve one another to the glory of God's name. And in that way of goodness, God will bless and keep us, not as only as individuals, but, but as, as a church, too. That must be our commitment, therefore, for the new year. Do good. Let us be ready in all cheerfulness to reveal toward one another our thankfulness to God for what he has again done for us this past year. Let's show it in our attitude towards one another and in our zeal for the church of Jesus Christ. Otherwise, we can be sure that he will cut off. The wicked are cut off out of the church, cast out by God. But our reward, we are told, 
at the end of verse 27 is, We will dwell forevermore. Our name will not be taken from the land, but we will dwell in the land forever. And that land is not some earthly inheritance, but the heavenly land of Canaan. There is our reward. We will dwell there forever. And that, because God will preserve his people unto that end, just as God has preserved his saints in the past, he will continue to preserve them unto all eternity. Only depart from evil and do good. Because God loves righteousness. God rewards in his grace his people that walk in the way of his precepts. As we said, this reward is always a reward of grace. God rewards us because of the great work he has done in us and continues to perform in us. God rewards us for what he has done in us. God preserves us in the way of righteousness. God preserves, therefore, those who do good. And the reward we seek is a crown of life that fades not away, preserved in heaven for us. Fellow believers, God has been good to us in this past year. Who can deny it? What then will we do in the new year to come? Serve him. In all thankfulness, serve him. And we will dwell forevermore. Let's come together in prayer. Father in heaven, we are thankful unto thee again for the work of our Lord and Savior within us, leading us, directing us, preserving us so that our feet are not moved. We confess that's the work of our Savior, but also working in us to will and to do of thy good pleasure. We thank thee for that work of our Savior in this day. As we look back across the old year, we again confess before thee, great is thy faithfulness. Forgive us of our sins. Go with us into the new year to come. We pray this for Jesus' sake. Amen. The gospel message you have just heard was sponsored by the Protestant Reformed Churches through its radio program, The Reformed Witness Hour. We hope that you have been edified and encouraged by this message. If you would like more information about the Reformed faith, or the Protestant Reformed Churches, feel free to visit our website at reformedwitnesshour.org or email us at mail at reformedwitnesshour.org.